My, well, my Facebook friend recently asked me, or sorry, didn't ask, they put on Facebook this question, what so far has been the single most liberating experience of your life? Just interested in what my Facebook friends would describe as liberation. Okay, and the comments ranged, as you read through the comments, there's like 103 of them. The comments ranged from count, going to a counselling and having a great counselling experience, uh, to leaving their marriage, to leaving a church, to moving out of Sydney. I don't know, do you feel that, Ian Salina, moving out of Sydney? No, that wasn't your liberation. Uh, uh, turning 40, he felt like liberated by turning 40. Starting a business, embracing bisexuality, immigrating to Australia. And so you've read through all these things and it was quite diverse. Now what struck me was um, two things. One, everyone spoke with incredible passion. Um, like this moment of liberation was a real turning point in their life to a, to a better place, to a wonderful place. Second thing that, was, uh, that struck me was how much confusion there was over freedom in regards to one thing, and that was Christian faith. Okay? So you had some people who said, I got freedom, I, I became felt liberated by becoming a Christian, and then you had other people who said, I got liberated by walking away from Christian faith. It was the only thing where there was that clear contradiction. And so it made me wonder, what, what's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? Does Christian faith provide real freedom or not? So it's a really important question to answer because in our world today, one of the key questions that people are asking are not just, we want to, we want to know if Christian faith is true. People want to know, will Christian faith give me freedom? Will it be a... a um, a repressive experience, or will it be a liberating one? Well, this morning, we're going to take some time to look through the Bible's teaching on freedom. Now, as soon as I talk about the Bible, you, everyone has a different perception of what it is. Um, some people think it's a bunch of rules and, and sayings all collected together into a big uh, book. Um, and, and that's true. There are teachings and sayings. But if you read the Bible carefully, you'll notice that it's one big story from the beginning to end. It's, uh, it's a big story that claims to have answers to the big questions of life. And so as we start at the beginning of that story this morning, we see that the concept of freedom happens straight away. And what I want to see in this first little section is that you'll see that, the, that freedom is a complex idea. We're going to see the complexity of freedom. And so opening chapter of the Bible, we just read, uh, Jenny read for us really helpfully from Genesis chapter 1. Uh, you don't have one lonely God, hang, you know, you have a picture of like a grandpa God who's hanging out by himself. Uh, you don't have that, that's not the picture in the Bible of how God is presented. Uh, God in the beginning of the Bible is presented as a, as a complex being, uh, well beyond our understanding, but a complex being that is described as Trinity. Uh, so you might have heard that. The idea is that there's one God, but within that one God, you have three persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the idea is that God himself, the essence of God himself, is that he is this one in three, that God is relationship. That God is relationship. And, and that's why he creates relational being, is because that's what he is. And so this community of three persons in this intimate relationship of love from before the beginning of the world, this God is the ultimate free being in that this God has ultimate power and has no limitations. All right, so this God is totally free. And so this totally free God decides to create 
perfectly create, sorry, he, he decides to freely create a world with perfect freedom. Uh, he creates a world, he creates people to share with them the love that he has within himself. And so these people that he creates are not created to be God, to replace him in the world, but they're created by him to reflect who he is to the rest of the world, to the rest of the creation. And so Genesis chapter 1, you get that picture. Verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, so this is the original people, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, a side note here, um, we might, you, might come, you might be coming to church, to church for the first time, we're reading through Genesis and you think, man, I have a problem with Genesis as an explanation for the creation of the world, the creation of people. I, I, I want to ask you to just press pause on that kind of concern. Uh, and what I want you to focus on from Genesis is not uh, the, the question of how the world was made, but the question of why it was made. Because that's the focus of Genesis. The focus for Genesis is why the world was made. Now, why does it say here that God creates people here to enjoy the world? So what does he say to them? He says, be fruitful. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, eat all these trees, this wonderful garden that I've put you in. So God says, freely enjoy this good world that I've given you. But, he says in chapter 2, there's going to be a limit to their freedom. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God says you're free to eat from every tree, every tree, every beautiful tree with fruit on it. You're free except for that one. Now, as soon as we hear that, our question is, how can it be real freedom that he's given these people if there's a limit to their freedom? And at this point, we hit what is the complexity of freedom. All right, so you look at the fish tank, a beautiful fish, Flying out of the fish tank. When you look at the fish tank, you ask the question, which of these fish is free? Now, in one sense, it's the, it's, it's the one who jumps free from the bowl. You can almost hear him yelling as he's diving out of the bowl. Freedom! He's going for it, you know? But in reality, that fish, as he jumps out of the bowl, he's going to die. He's going to die, isn't he? He might have total freedom in one sense for a moment, but he doesn't have true freedom. He doesn't have freedom because you lose all your freedom when you die. For the fish to maintain the greater freedom of life, he has to give up the lesser freedom of jumping out of the tank. And now this is the crucial thing to know about freedom. Real freedom is determined by what you are. Real freedom is determined by what you are. Fish freedom is found in water alone. Fish can't ultimately be free as they jump out into the air and try and fly because they die. Fish freedom is found in water alone. Likewise, human freedom is only found inside the limitations set by our humanity. When we try to jump outside and be something we are not created to be and try to have the freedom that we don't design, weren't designed to have, then we lose our freedom. And so God says to these original people, he says to them, you're free to eat from any of these trees here. There's this beautiful paradise to enjoy. But he says, don't eat from that tree because that tree is going to kill you. Give up the lesser freedom 
of that tree to enjoy the greater freedom of living. That's chapter 2. But in chapter 3 of the Bible, we see the corruption of freedom. The corruption of freedom. And so in chapter 3, beginning of chapter 3, Satan, who's declared himself an enemy of God, comes to the woman and suggests to her that the man is lying, sorry, that God is lying about the tree. That in fact, this tree that God said don't touch, it's not going to kill them. In fact, if they eat from that tree, that they're going to have God's freedom. They're going to have the power and freedom of God. If they eat that tree, they're going to have the power and freedom of God. And so Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, you might have heard this before, the fall of man, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, that sort of stuff. What was happening there? The pr- what was happening was this. It wasn't just that they broke a rule in that God decided to make this rule, don't eat from this tree, and then all of a sudden they've broken the rule so they get crossed off. No. They decide in this moment here, we want more than human freedom with its limits. We want God's freedom without limits. We want the freedom to be God and decide what's good and bad and what we can and what we can't. And we want to be we want to be gods of this world. And that decision did not just affect them. As you keep reading the Bible story from right on, you see that. Every person who came after them continues to make that same decision. Every single person who's alive now continues to make that decision. The Bible suggests that every single person who's alive has this instinctive desire. And it's mostly unconscious. You don't even know it's there. But it's this instinctive desire to pursue God-like freedom. To try and live in this world like we are God. And it has three consequences that you see early on that flow right through the rest of the Bible. I'm going to give you three of them. first one is suffering. Uh, in pursuit of freedom, we are like the fish that jumps out of the tank. All right? We hurt ourselves. We, we make decisions where we think we have no limits. We, uh, we, we start taking drugs and we think, I'm free by taking drugs. And we end up an addict. We work hard to take, chase financial freedom through our uh, through. Uh, through the stock market or whatever, and then we have health problems and it all goes and it all falls apart and the stock market crashes. But as much as we hurt ourselves, we actually hurt other people. Because here's the thing, if my freedom says I should be able to live without limits because I'm the God of this world and your freedom says you should be able to live without freedom because you're the God of this world as well, then my freedoms is possibly, well, they're most likely going to get in the way of your freedoms and all of a sudden we have conflict. In fact, I, I can't trust you with your, you're going you're gonna to use your freedoms for your own good and, and against me. And so I don't trust you and I get defensive. And, and so as we both pursue this godlike freedom, relationships break down. Things fall apart. We hurt ourselves and each other. So that's the first thing. Suffering happens as a consequence of pursuing godlike freedom. Second, second consequence is separation. When we say, I'm going to pursue God-like freedom, what we're really saying to God is, stuff you, God, I'm going to be God. I'm free from you. I'm, I'm free from your rule because I'm going to be the boss of this world. And the deal is this. God cannot just sit by and watch us hurt ourselves and other people by making that decision. 
He is a good God. He is a loving God. And so he is a just God. And so he, what we find out in Genesis 3 is he, he has to punish us. Now, what's the punishment here? It's interesting. The punishment in Genesis 3 is to give the human beings exactly what they wanted. They said, we want freedom from you. We want separation from you to be our own God. And so he removes them from his presence. He, he allows them to walk away from him. They wanted freedom from God to be God and God gives it to them. And we think, oh, well, what's the big deal? That, well, that's a big deal. Because here we have God who is the source of life. He's the source of goodness. He's the source of blessing. And when you walk away from the ultimate sense, source of goodness, blessing and life, if you, you're cut off from life itself. It's like you're connected to a life support system and you decide to rip off the cords and just walk away. Very quickly, if you're in a frail state, you die. And so as a consequence of the decision for God-like freedom, in our world today, every one of us physically dies one day. See, death, physical death, was never meant to be a part of the original creation. Death came as a consequence of this disconnection we have with God because of our rejection of Him. But our physical death is only a picture of our spiritual death. When we decided to say, get stuffed God, I'm going to run this life, I'm going to run my life without you and have my freedom apart from you, then we set ourselves up in opposition to God and we are spiritually separated from Him. We're disconnected from the life of God. And so you have suffering, you have separation, and the third consequence is slavery. This is the ironic thing. The very thing the original people sought after, and that was total freedom, becomes slavery. And now I'll explain why. In the same way that fish are designed for water, humanity was designed, we were built, we were in a sense hardwired to relate to a God outside of us. That was in our very fabric of who we are as human beings, to relate to a God outside of us. That's how he made us to be. It was meant to be that God would give us the answers on who we are and how to live in his world. That our purpose, our meaning, our identity, our pleasure was to come from this relationship. Now, when we were separated from God because we rejected him, that hard wiring is still there. And so without a God to connect to, all of a sudden, and to answer those questions, all of a sudden you have this hard wiring that now is forced <coughs> to to pursue God replacements. And so it could be money, or it could be family, or it could be career, it could be a relationship. What we do is we, we look to those things to tell us what it means to be human. We look to our careers to give us our identity. We look to our families to give us our meaning. We look to relationships to give us our fulfillment. We look to, uh, we look to sex to give us ultimate pleasure. And here's the thing, they seem to work for a while. They seem to give us meaning for a while. But when we or they fail, then we're lost. The person who finds their meaning in their career is retrenched and all of a sudden they think, who am I? Or the person who's worked their whole life all of a sudden just retires thinking it's going to answer all their, like fix all their problems and they're going to all of a sudden be retired in this better place. And they find themselves in a sense of depression, like what's my purpose in life? The person who finds their identity in their kid's success has a relationship breakdown with their daughter and so they just spiral into depression. See, we want God-like freedom, but as a consequence of rejecting God, we end up living for these God replacements that just don't cut it. 
Three consequences of, of choosing godlike freedom. Suffering, separation, slavery. And so what's the solution? What's the solution? This is the problem early on in the Bible. And the halfway through, right until halfway through the, the Bible, you see how they play out, those problems, the consequences play out. And so what is the solution? How can we enjoy the real freedom that humanity was made for? Well, as you fast through the story of the Bible, you eventually come to what is the most unlikely solution. Uh, a Jewish carpenter named Jesus says these words. In John chapter 8, we read them before. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in, a house, in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, it's a couple of crazy things Jesus says here. The first thing is he calls himself the son. Now, remember early on, I told you that God is... Uh, is Trinity. So three persons of Trinity, God the Son, God the, Holy, God, the Fa- God, the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus is saying, I am God the Son, become man. So that's a big call. You know, he's saying he's God become fully man. Second, he claims to give ultimate freedom. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So he's saying to people, come to me and I'll see, how does he do that? <clears throat> Fast forward again, to a letter written after Jesus, which explains what he did through his cross and his resurrection. So chapter 2, verse 5, this is from Philippians. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, again, this is a part of the Bible this part of the Bible is claiming that Jesus was God become man. It says he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God. He was God amongst us. He was God, the Son become man. He was the God who existed with his Father from before the creation of the world in this perfect relationship. But shockingly, this God, the Son, the ultimate free being, decided to enter into his creation and live as a human being with human limitations. So God becomes a person he gives up his ultimate freedom ultimate power to become human in a sense it's like one of us becoming like a fish but more it says here he became a servant he became a slave Uh, verse 8 and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death so not only does god the son take on human limitations become a human he he becomes a slave and he suffers And so the ultimate free being gives up all power and freedom to prevent his own death. And so if you ever heard the narrative of the cross and know that Jesus died on the cross, you think to himself, he he was helpless, he couldn't do anything about it. But the reality was he could have done everything about it. When he was beaten, when he was mocked, when he was executed, when he was even on the cross, he could have jumped down off that cross, healed himself and just walked free. But he chose to take on those limitations. He chose to give up his freedom on the cross and die physically. But more than that, the end of verse 8 there, he says, even death on a cross. Now, to die on a cross was a significant way for a Jewish person to die. The first part of the Bible says, cursed is anyone who is who's hung on a tree, who dies on a cross. And so Jesus, is, as he hangs on the cross, he is cursed by God. What does that mean? It was, means in that moment... God, God, his loving father, took out on his son Jesus the punishment we deserve. And so Jesus is hung on the cross, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is there crying that? Because in that moment, 
He's taken upon himself all of our desire for God-like freedom, all the reasons we should be punished are put onto Jesus, and then he stands there and he feels the separation from God his Father. Not for anything he did, but for our desire for God-like freedom. He chose to be a slave, he chose to suffer, and he chose to be separated. You see, he chose to be a slave, he chose to suffer, he chose to separate, be separated. He took it for it. Why? Well, he did it to set you free. He did it to set us free, that you would have the life of real freedom. And so the question then is, how does Jesus dying on a cross um, lead to our freedom? How does Jesus losing his freedom give us freedom? We'll keep reading in that passage in Philippians from verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the story doesn't end with Jesus' death. Uh, Christians believe that the Bible teaches Jesus rises three days later to take his place. He, he, and he appears to up to 500 people at once over a period of 40 days and then he ascends from earth to heaven to take his place as king of the universe to take his place in the throne and in the center of the universe at the center of it all as the most beautiful awe-inspiring person in the universe and so god's freedom sorry god's solution to our pursuit for god-like freedom is to know jesus as king well how does that work first knowing jesus as king will free you from separation and so the cross is the idea that Jesus took our place Jesus was our substitute he was separated for us and so that frees us from the justice that our sin deserved and so now through trust in Jesus we are actually reconnected into the life of God we are reconnected into God the source of life we're plugged back into God and so if you put your trust in Jesus today or if you put your trust in Jesus in the past, you are in that moment connected to the life of God as the Holy Spirit, as in the third part of the Trinity, or the third person of the Trinity, dwells in you. So God comes and you're connected to God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and his job is to reveal what Jesus has done and to enable you to live for him. Uh, but the second stage of being non-separated from God happens at the end. When Jesus returns and starts a new perfect creation, where we will live before God face to face. And so Jesus brings freedom from separation. Secondly, he frees us from suffering. Again, it's in, 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 in two main stages. One day he'll come back and fix the world and he will end all evil. He'll end all crying and pain and suffering. And so he'll set us free from, from, from the sufferings of life. Right now, we don't, we don't exist in that new perfected world. We still have suffering. It is a fallen world. But at the same time, when you put your trust in Jesus, there's a degree to which you can limit uh, intentional suffering, suffering brought about by your own, your own foolishness. And so listen, this is how it works. Uh, when you get, know who Jesus is, then you realize that you're not God. All right, when you know Jesus is, he's God and you're not, and you trust him, you know you're human and not God, and so you stop pursuing God-like freedom. You get the idea that jumping out of the tank is a bad idea. 
That, and so through Jesus and his word, the Bible, you understand the good limits that God has placed on life. You understand the limits that he's placed there to prevent you hurting yourself and others so that you have the greatest freedom. See, as I read that Facebook feed of different people who uh, had stayed in the church and people who'd walked away from the church claiming that it was liberation, the people who'd walked away from the church claiming that it was liberation, walked away from Jesus claiming it was liberation, the way they spoke about Christian faith was all about the commands. So they basically said the commands of the Bible were repressive, repressive, and so walking away gave me great liberation in my life. But if what I'm saying today is true, that God is good, that he wants to give us his freedom, and the freedom he wants to give us is in order to help us maintain our freedom, then God's commands in the Bible are not there to wreck our fun and freedom. They're not. They're they're aimed, it's the inventor of life saying, here is my good way I designed life to work best. This is my good way to maximize your freedom. This is the best way to enjoy life as it's meant to be enjoyed. And so knowing Jesus as Lord, knowing he's God and you're not, knowing his word enables you to understand what are the limitations of your human freedom and enjoy it as it was designed to work. Thirdly, Jesus frees us from slavery. When you recognize recognize Jesus as Lord, he becomes the center of your existence. And so all that hard wiring that you have that is trying to find fulfillment and meaning and identity and things that are not God has the right object to connect to, Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who will never let you down, the one who loves you perfectly and will never fail you, whether you struggle or not. And so Jesus sets you free from living for things which are not God. So that when you get retrenched from work, you don't lose who you are. But you're set free knowing that your identity and your meaning and purpose is found in your relationship with him. When your family dysfunctions, you don't go into hopeless depression. But you're set free to know that who you are and your meaning is not based on whether you're a good parent or not, whether your kids are successful. That is the freedom of living for Jesus. And so the bottom line is knowing Jesus enables you to ultimately enjoy life. The people on the Facebook feed, the ones who are saying, well, I've walked away from Jesus and now I'm free, they've missed it. Whatever they've walked away from, it wasn't Jesus. It was religion. I think they've walked away from religion, basically, and a bunch of rules that wasn't Jesus. If you've met Jesus, then that's the place where you have true freedom. Because when you know Jesus, it sets you free from living for things that are not God. It sets you free to live life the way God designed it to work best. And so let me ask you this morning, are you looking for real freedom? Are you looking for real freedom? The, The freedom you were created to have. The freedom that enables you to have maximum enjoyment of life. The freedom of being how you were created to be in sync and in connection with the God who made you. I wonder, are you sick of finding your identity and your meaning in things that ultimately give it? The only solution is Jesus. Knowing the beauty of the one who lost his freedom and rose from the dead to set you free to live for him. Well, this morning, if you're if, if that's something you have not received, you have not received Jesus into your life, you haven't trusted in him,
then today is a chance to have that freedom. And all you have to do is ask. Don't have to ask me. You just need to ask him. You need to say, sorry, God, for rejecting you to pursue God-like freedom. Thank you for sending to Jesus to be rejected for me. That you might be embraced into God's family. If, if that is you today and you have not put your trust in Jesus and you have not enjoyed the freedom he wants to give you, then please do business with God. Talk to him. He's there. Let me pray. Father God, we just praise you and thank you for the freedom we have because of Jesus. We've been set free from the punishment for sin. We've been set free from living for things which are not God. We've been set free because the one who had all freedom lost his freedom that we might be free. And so, Father, for anyone here today who has not put their trust in Jesus, I pray that you would help them to see how glorious Jesus is and that he is worth living for because he died for them, that they might be free. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.